this episode, I wanted to go over a ministry that is very close to the heart of our family. Claudia and I have always had a huge heart for women's injustice. And moving over to Asia, it just puts you face to face with it even more and more. If you don't know some of the facts and statistics of Asia, even in different parts of Southeast Asia, at the age of 18, it's customary for you to sleep with a prostitute in the Philippines. There, the in, and also other parts of Asia as well. Statutory rape is actually at the age of 12, not 18, like America. And so you see pedophilia just running rampant everywhere. You see corruption just rampant everywhere. Not doing anything about this. One time, I chased a pedophile that was literally hunting down all of these young little teenage girls at the mall, and I confronted him. I had the undercover cops come and stop him. My, this was actually with Ariella when she was, when Claudia was pregnant with her. Claudia saw him and he was just checking out and scoping out all, he's like 60, 70 years old and he's looking at all these little girls trying to get their numbers. And I sat next to him so blinded by immorality, he couldn't even tell I was sitting next to him. I looked at his phone because I'm just that type of dude. And it was just, he was just texting and texting and texting and texting, trying to get different girls to sleep with him. And one of the ways that they do this is they tell them like, oh, I'll buy you a new phone. I'll give you this and I'll give you that. I'll even let you sleep in my apartment room. And what we found out even from this pedophile is that he's actually using the name of a missionary so that he could actually get closer to these unsuspecting young Filipina girls and boys. And it was just, uh, just really got me. So anyways, we've always been trying to partner with Compassion Ministries, churches that are uh, doing this and seeing what we can do to help catalyze and empower more and more and resource what they're doing. And we've seen that and it's been very successful. And so we come over to our area and when we come to our area, we notice that there's this one strip. Every time we pass by it, there's just tons of these little, they look like small bars it's a third world country, obviously, so it's different than what America would look like or Amsterdam when it comes to like red light, red light and stuff. This is actually more of a rural area, but literally just like a small town bar in the middle of a highly dense neighborhood, just going down the street, like nothing happening, and just women standing, sitting outside, and just a red light, like literally a red bulb. And I was counting all these off, and I was just like, man, there are so many red light brothels here there's just you just look at it and it's just everywhere 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 and i'm just shocked by it and you just get stirred up i don't know if that happens to you but when i start seeing injustice and i see things that are wrong and i just things like that i just gotta do something i'm just i've never been that type of guy that can look at something wrong and not do anything even when i was in a gang <laughs> anyway so we just look at this whole thing and i'm just really like we got to do something about this and so obviously when we have our teams come in Hundreds of missionaries come through us, and this specific one really got a burden from God, and they had visions and dreams of red light ministry and just seeing prostitutes set free and preaching the gospel to them, seeing them get discipled, seeing compassion and their families being transformed, and it was happening amongst a lot of people. And things like that, I always do everything by the Word of God. I always pray. It does say in the Word of God that when there is a Word of God or a prophetic Word to test that. And to test that by eldership, council, people around you, community. And so right down the line, everyone that we were around was really sensing this is something we need to do. Obviously, for me, I know that these types of things are, a lot of these things are propped up by syndicates or propped up by 
traffickers. That's not something you necessarily want to mess with unless you're really ready to pick a fight, which is kind of what missionaries do. And they just pick a fight wherever the devil is and really see the glory of God break through. And I was asking the Lord, give me a personal confirmation in my prayer life that this is something that we're supposed to step into. And so later on, the Lord reminded me of this dream that I had seven years ago. No, actually, at this point, at that point, it was uh, nine years ago. And I actually became a, I was a prostitute. I was a, a young boy, a young Asian boy trafficked into prostitution. This was nine years ago. And I, it was just the most odd dream because I don't normally, obviously, dream of stuff like that. So I was this young boy, and I was being sold to another older Asian man. And I was brought to this giant mansion, and I was trafficked to him. And I couldn't do specific things. The dream wasn't like that kind of graphic. But I was going through the emotions of this young Asian boy prostitute. And just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so afraid. Like everywhere I go, people are beating me. And I was going through all these emotions. And for some reason, he didn't do anything to me sexually. But what he did was because he wasn't pleased by me was that he shoved me in his basement filled with rats and cockroaches and bugs and just this nasty basement. And I was just there and I, I was just getting bit all the time. And I was just in terror throughout the whole night. And then I woke up, he dragged me out, and I was covered. I was just uh, covered in all of these different bites and all of these different rashes and because of all of the stuff that was happening in the, in the basement. And he got so angry at me that I was so ugly because I was filled with all of these different bites and stuff. And so he beat me, and then he brought me back to the trafficker, and he cursed him out and he said like why did you give me this guy and blah 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 he's a waste of money and I'm sitting there I'm like oh I'm feeling it I'm feeling like I'm getting abused and I'm going through all these things and it's like nobody's nobody's there to save me it's just this crazy feeling and so the trafficker he beats me and then he's watching me and then I'm with the other guys that are getting trafficked and then they're just also going through the same thing and nobody nobody can help you when you're stuck in a situation like that and so I'm going through this and I wake up and I'm like it tears just crying like crazy and I just can't get out of it. I just I go the whole day I'm like fuzzed out. I'm just going to the prayer room like just working, doing the discipleship, ministry, everything I'm doing and then I'm just buzzed out by this dream. I just can't get it off me where it's like I know that there's millions of people, millions of kids that are going through this stuff even if they're not trafficked Families in a lot of parts of the world, they voluntarily give their kids to prostitution rings or mothers give themselves to prostitution rings so that they can get money because you get, in, in, these, in some cases, you get more money being a prostitute than you would working 70 hours a week in a corrupt nation. And so I'm just going through this whole thing. I literally go to sleep and I have the exact same scenario where I'm the exact same guy. I'm in this train going through some rice fields and I'm just weeping and crying, and I'm wondering what is going on. And um, what I realize is that I'm saved for some reason. Like I'm actually born again. And I, in this vision, I'm not crying out because of the injustice. I'm crying out because I know that Jesus saved me and set me free from the inside out, and I'm a new creation. And I'm just weeping and thanking God and loving Him and praising Him that. 
This life is but a vapor, and he has so much in store for me after this life. And that's literally this section of the dream just drawn out and stretched out for the entire duration of the dream. It's literally me just being this traffic little boy uh, that has found Jesus, and now I know in faith that he has a plan for me, and there's a hope for me, and there's eternity for me, and I'm not condemned to being oppressed for ever like all of my life in eternity and i'm i then i'm in tears again and i wake up and i'm just completely wrecked by this dream and you know growing up and in when different or doing different types of ministry in the last decade human trafficking and prostitution has always been something that we've always managed to be working with uh, whether it's like helping them rehabilitate their lives or helping them get out of different types of addictions or discipling them, teaching them the word of God. I've usually been in some kind of place where I'm discipling them or working with them. And even in the Philippines, that's still something that we end up doing. It just ends up working out like that. And we end up always working with partnering and collaborating with different churches and so on and so forth. And so we, this whole dream, God reminds me and he tells me, even if the woman was set free from bondage, if she did not give her life to me, she would still be eternally and spiritually in bondage by darkness and sin because all of us have sin. And it doesn't matter who we are, or where we're coming from, we all have sin because of what happened all the way from Genesis 1 and, or 2. And I'm not going to go into all of that, but that's, what, that's the reality in the state of our world. And the Lord said that salvation is still the beginning stepping stone of transformation. And so that's literally my confirmation, and I can't argue with it. I know that no matter how much compassion, how much relief, how much anything we do, if, they, if a human being doesn't have faith to believe in Jesus Christ, forever they are still eternally damned by the sin that they carry because no one is perfect. But that's why Jesus Christ died for us so that we can live with him by his blood and by his reputation, by his purity, by his holiness and integrity. And that's, he's the one that stands before us as an ambassador and as someone that bridges the gap between us and judgment. And so I, I just, I know that and I, I, I'm a straight believer of that. And I just go into this position where I'm, I'm asking the Lord, provide us for a way of discipleship long-term and development and transformation. And I don't know if anyone's going to get saved. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that the Holy Spirit's telling us to go and do this. We're getting a confirmation. We have our team ready and we go out and do it. And so the first night that we go out and do it, literally there's 12 women, which is for this small brothel is all the women that are working. And all these women that are working, they all end up hearing the gospel. We bring them to a place where they can, um, we can have our own little love feast is what we call it. We're washing their feet. They're hearing testimonies. One of the missionaries, they were actually raped when they were younger. And they were able to share about God's redemption and his love for us and his, our, light, our calling to be pure and his forgiveness and grace and mercy. And all of the women are weeping. And all of the women give their lives to Jesus Christ that we find out that many of them are moms with something like three to five kids is the average. And even the manager of the brothel, she gets struck by a prophetic word by one of our missionaries that she has a wound. She grew up with trauma from her dad. And that's the reason why she grew up and she sees abuse as a normal thing. And so she also got struck with this uh, word from God. And she's coming with us to this love feast that we're doing this ministry night. And she gets rocked. 
And so what we find out is we come back a week later to follow up on everybody. We're just going to start doing discipleship in the brothel. And we find out all of them are gone. And then we talk to the manager and we ask her, so what's been, what's, where are they at? And she said, oh, they all left. After you guys came, they never came back. So she's now a person of peace. She's someone that's helping us with this. And we ask her, okay, well, can we just get all the other women now? Because there's new women now. There's another 12 or so. And she says, yeah, sure, you could go ahead and take them. And then she says, can I come? So she comes. And then, again, these, t- these women, again, get rocked by the Holy Spirit. They get encountered with the gospel. And then our staff maintain contact with them as they, a lot of them part different ways, uh, actually, because they don't want to. Uh, stay in the city because it's, for one thing, shameful. The second thing is it's dangerous for them once they leave. And so some of them stay in contact. Others of them don't stay in contact, which is the reality of it. Even if you look at a lot of red light ministries, um, 99% of women actually go back to prostitution unless they're adopted by a family. And that's the reality of it. That's just the gut check for it. And so that's what we're dealing with. It's, It's not like Okay, just this, that, boom, you're done. It's nothing like that. Nothing like that exists in missions. There's nothing boom, bam, boom. Everything is hard work. Everything is labor. Everything is commitment. Everything is long term. Everything is I give my life for another human being. And that's how you see stuff get done. And so we're going through the whole process of really trying to keep up with some of these women. A lot of them give us fake numbers, actually, but they don't come back. And some of them actually give us real numbers. And my wife actually gets gets really close to one of these women that are in the red light. And she ends up developing a strong relationship. We find out that she's a mother of five, or a mother of three. And we stay in contact through, throughout this period of time. This is early in the year. And what we find out is that she starts reaching out to us. She left prostitution. She got herself a job. She's trying to get her family back on her feet. She actually, she actually left prostitution because she asked God which in a Catholic nation is most likely Jesus, but they don't understand everything in terms of what the Bible says and all that. But she had enough faith to pray to God and ask her, am I supposed to change my life? And she, gets a, she literally gets into a crash. And God is telling her that you need to leave this life. And that's when she meets my wife. And so during the corona time, we find out she gives us this whole backstory and she starts telling us like, I need food. I left my lifestyle of prostitution. Now I lost my job because of the the lockdown. I have kids. We don't have anything to eat. I don't even have a load for my phone because in the Philippines, you load it day by day or load by load. And she's literally just crying out to us. And we're in this position where we're asking God, it's so sad that even right now we're getting faced with people in poverty. And now we're also talking to women that were in prostitution. And they're also struggling with the same thing. And you know, they, she went into prostitution because of the lack of money. And now Corona hit. And this is the perfect time to reveal to her that God is provider and not a job. Because you can get money through a job, but then ultimately it doesn't mean that it's necessarily God's divine will for how you get that money. And so this is the time that we really felt like we were supposed to really pour into her and really go after this open door as she reached out to us. And so we did. And thank you again for everyone that has helped with the relief and the discipleship in the Philippines. Uh, she is someone that we were able to help out throughout the lockdown and even to this point now. And so when the lockdown opened up a little bit, we were able to come and visit her and give her more relief goods. And from that point on, that's where we realized that her um, son was dealing with homosexuality. They all lived in a community apartment where they had a shared bathroom 
barely any type of running water. Everyone was sleeping in the same place. Very sad in a sense of how they're living. And then we looked at it and we, they all just sleep there. And we asked them, so what is the, what do you guys do all day because of lockdown? We asked the kids, or Claudia did, and all the other missionaries that went with her. And they, they talked and they said that, well, we just sleep all day because we wake up. There's nothing to do here. There's not even TV. There's not a radio. There's not internet. They don't have any food. Just stuck in a room forever with nothing starving. And that's just their life. And I was just, it's so sad that that's just a picture of one family that got saved from prostitution, encountered Jesus Christ, and now there's able to be more generosity you know, from the body of God and also more understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And then there was breakthrough. We prayed for them. We were able to minister to them. And we're still keeping our relationship with them and still checking up on them and seeing how they're doing and planning more times to come down there for Bible studies. But it's just, this whole picture is just, it's another, it's another picture of how Jesus Christ can take such a sad scenario, but make it for good. And so the challenge that I wanted to share with everybody was that in a lot of cases, we may not be working with a prostitute. We may not be working, or a woman in prostitution. I don't like saying prostitute. It makes it sound like it's an identity. But there's, we don't, we're not necessarily in a developing country, so to say, or maybe I, the only people I know is my family or my friends or my coworker, and I don't know what to do uh, to be someone that's, that's doing something right now. And one thing I want to encourage you is that there is always a need in the nations. There's always something that needs to get done. And during this time to just remain in a generous spirit financially, but also with your time, with your family, with uncomfortability. I always think about this. We, you know, so there was an underground church leader that prayed for us and Claudia to get, for me and Claudia to get back in marriage. And when I, he prayed for us and we got back after nine months. And when I put my hands on his back, he was just covered with huge half inch thick scars and I was just shocked at the amount of persecution that they went through in China. And when I looked at him, and he's like 80 years old at this point, and I'm just about to get married, it made me, and he was so thankful that our country, America, was able to worship openly, which as of right now is even getting tested, and be able to make disciples and not get persecuted and killed. And he was locked up for a half of his life. And that's the way that he grew up. His wife thought he was dead. So... And he came out 40 years later. So that's how, mo- that's how a lot of the world and Christianity is actually living right now in these areas where church planting exists and persecuted nations. And it always reminds me right now, am I doing something where I'm not living as if like these guys are? If I'm not getting persecuted, if I'm not getting shut down, if I'm not getting locked down, if I still have my open rights to preach the gospel I have to live with 150, 300, 1,000% with every blessing of freedom I have to worship, evangelize, and make disciples. And I just want to encourage everybody that maybe that is your family member. Maybe that is your uncle. Maybe that's your friend. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's just somebody. And again, I'm not into the whole like beat someone with the gospel. Obviously, that's why we see so many people making disciples after they get saved is because our number one thing is relationship. So to say organic evangelism, which is essentially building a relationship with someone that's an unbeliever and then committing to them, adopting them, taking them under your wing, so to say, 
raising them up and investing into them as if they were your own spiritual babe and child. And that's why Paul even uses the illustration of milk, solid food, spiritual babes, mature now, because literally that's what we do is we spiritually adopt people to be discipled. And that's what evangelism is, is you teach them what it takes, you model it on what faith looks like, what a lifestyle of witnessing looks like, but you also live out with them a lifestyle of discipleship. And so I want to encourage you, that could be with anybody, and specifically in developing country, uh, developed countries, one of the hardest things to do is just to make time for it. And I just want to encourage everybody, slice something out from your schedule, Zoom somebody, Go try and have a lunch with somebody and just make it a regular part of your lifestyle to consistently disciple the next generation, which I know a lot of you do already, but I just wanted to highlight that and say, just keep going with it. That is our slice of the pie. Making disciples is literally the key verse of the Great Commission. It doesn't say, and God said, go do the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples and teach them to obey baptize them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then do this until I come back again until the end of the age. All right, so thank you, everybody. I'll be keeping you in prayer. and Just pray for our family and ministry and all the people that we're working with here in the Philippines.